Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Our guest today is Gail Danley. She is a slam poet and MC3 roster artist. She is facilitating Hugging the Poet Inside of You, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Thursday, May 7th from 1 to 1.45 p.m. Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Peter. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. It's so great to get to know all of the artists who are involved with this better. So I'm just going to start right out of the gate asking about your session. Um, Did you base the title of it around the idea of the Embrace series? Or how how are we going to be hugging the poet inside of us? You know, I always feel like art is hugging somebody, right? So even if your series had been called Art, for the pandemic, you know, <laughs> art for the, the shut in, you know, I just came up with it just based on what I feel art should do, which is to make us feel human and to make us feel alive. And that makes me think of hugging. You know, it's it's funny during uh, during this time, my boyfriend and I have had a few social distanced meetings with friends where, you know, we drop off uh, a baked good to them or something like that. And and my boyfriend always says, it hurts not to hug, which is exactly how I feel these days. Tell us a little bit more about the ways in which uh, we will be connecting with, uh, with the sort of uh, idea of intimate connection through your workshop. Well, of course, I'm going to start with the art. And I, I plan to select a piece or two of mine that promote a sense of comfort and coming home and being together, maybe even shedding a tear, you know, somewhere within the lines, you know, just some very human work from within my collection. So I'll start with that. And throughout the session, it's a 45 minute session. I just want us to hug over and over again, you know, hug with our bravery, hug with our themes that we, that we select literally use the medium that we have. It's a lovely medium, right? This whole, we're face-to-face, click, you know, touch a button and there you are. There's your pimple, right? There you are with your little, with your little nose. There you are with your hair afire, you know? And so I, I want to use that medium to say, let's hug. Okay, wait, hold up, hold up. Mary's about to do her poem. Give her a kiss, you know, lean in. So just a constant reminder throughout those 45 minutes that we are together, no matter what. I'm really impressed at how, just even in the small description, you seem to be showing how you're leaning into our current our current remote way of interacting with each other. And, and maybe that says something about your artistic practice as a whole, as a, as a slam poet, there's already uh, intermingling of literary arts with theater and live stage performance and some of the choreography that goes along with that. So if you could define your work, how would you talk about your your practice as an artist overall? You know, slam is so big, right? And that's the loveliness of it because it embraces 
performance poets, I guess that's what we all have in common, right? We all write it and then put it on somebody's stage, right? And so it embraces thousands of us all over the world who can all, although we're, we are very different people with different stories to tell, we can all stand under the same umbrella, right? An umbrella of emotion, an umbrella of realness, an umbrella of boldness, an umbrella of being willing to speak, even if it's just a half inch, right? To speak our truth for those three minutes, right? So in a poetry slam, which is a competition, you get up there and you you, you speak your poem that you've written. It has to be yours or you get disqualified. And then there are five judges, just these random, beautiful people who you select out of the audience and they listen and they feel you or not, right? And then when you're done, they give you a score between one and 10. So it's like, ah, you know, instantly, you know how you're doing, right? And so I, I consider myself part of this community of people who have come I guess, out of the shadows of poetry and have said, you know, I am here. I am not in an ivory tower. I am not going to put you to sleep, you know, hopefully. I'm just going to be, bam, right up in your face. So I like writing poems that come directly from my life. You know, everybody... Slam is big, right? I said that. So everybody has their different things. Some slam poets are very much rappers. Some slam poets have a real definite cadence, you know, and a definite way of moving their body. And that's their thing. My thing is to take my story and to and to speak it in such a way that you feel it. And by the time I'm finished, damn it, you feel like my story is yours, right? There's no wall between us anymore. We're just in this thing together. And that's how I have used and interpreted um, this this thing called SLAM. It's, uh, well, just in, in an interview, I think you're able to conjure up that same uh, ability to to have have an empathic experience. Uh, it's it's just, you've got a wonderful voice. And I know that at this moment, you're you're struggling a little bit with uh, with uh, throat tingle. So I, I appreciate you, you... Um, I wish it were just a little tingle. I'm going to take, you know, you know what though? It's strep and thank God. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause yesterday morning when the, when the burn was raging in my throat, I was like, Oh my God. Well, so yeah, I guess we should, I should be proud to say that you've got strep and that you're doing your best with it. Yep. <laughs> so at the end there, we began to, I think, delve a little bit into process. So let's go a bit deeper into your process then of, of creating and uh, not just creating the poetry, but, you know, the, the barrier between your style and substance is, is wafer thin because the delivery is, is part of the experience of making someone feel your truth. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. The barrier is is wafer thin. Thank you, Peter. You know, this is weird. I almost feel like I was born with these poems inside me. They were already there. You know how your mom already had you with her before her egg, the Peter egg, was fertilized. You were always inside of her body. I feel like my poems were always there. I just needed 
a pen. I needed the time. Maybe I needed the motivation. I needed the language. I needed the stage. I needed the notebook to ignite them or to to call them forward. They were already there. And so that's a really easy feeling, right? That's That's a wonderful feeling. So I don't feel like I'm reaching for my art. I don't feel like I'm going through periods of writer's block because they were there when I was born and maybe even before. So the whole beautiful thing has been, Peter, to to, to allow them to walk outside of me. Oh, man, it's been awesome, right? So they're there. Here's the pen. And I'm just letting them flow through where they've always lived onto the paper. And then if, if I'm lucky, onto the stage. And so what I'm going to do in my embrace session, May 7th, from 1 to 145, is to share that truth with, you know, whoever shows up for that session, I'm going to share that. It's okay, baby. It's already there. And you don't have to cry or struggle for the words. We're just going to coax them out. Does that make sense? If that's an epiphany for you, it's it's just as much an epiphany for me. I've never even thought of that before. It's funny because, you know, talking about sort of discovering poetry and the expression within yourself uh, makes it sound sort of easy. But at the same time, I think as much as the outside world is a place of discovery and a place where some artists go to discover our own internal landscape is is often uncharted territory for us. And depending on who you are in society, you may not have had many opportunities to explore that landscape. And so it it can be a struggle and a discovery as much as as a different country. You know, absolutely. I think, though, even beginning to picture that in that way, like to picture that these are eggs, right? And they have always been there. And so you don't have to worry about becoming something transforming into something because it's always there. It's like, you don't have to worry about having the skin that lies across your face, right? You don't wake up in the morning. Oh my goodness. Will my skin be there when I look in the mirror? Will my teeth be? Yeah, they will be there, right? They might not look the way you want them to look every morning. And you, you may have to brush your teeth and floss them to get them to gleam, they are there. That for me, I man, I tell you what, I'm going to be chewing on that one for at least until I'm 80. I think that one of the things that I'm I'm already looking forward to about the workshop is is because you are a poet and are playing with language that that framing a situation is what the language can do. And so being able to say, again, like I, I took the idea of, of exploring ourselves as a landscape, which can sound like a lot of work and, and you redirected it to, again, the idea, the idea of an egg, the idea of, of already being present there. And so for me, that's a, a question of reframing and of seeing it through a different light to achieve a different result that could entirely change the mindset of even just going about my day and, and how I think of myself and, and the value of what I'm producing. You know, since I have not been driving off to do performances, right, since I've had this time to incubate and rest and worry and all of that and fall in love with the new medium and all of that, right, that's been happening for me, I realize that oftentimes When I think about, okay, what's my goal for this particular performance, whether it's live or virtual, right? 
it keeps coming back to, I want to remind, I want to remind them. What do I want to remind them? I want to remind them that they are beautiful because we are told over and over again. I don't know about in your life, Peter, but in my life, right? And in my people's life, we are told over and over again that we are not beautiful, that we are not smart, that we are not capable, that we are not artists, that we are not brilliant, right? And so my role is to say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are all those things. Remember? Remember that teacher who told you that she was right? Remember that boyfriend that you dated and he thought you were the most beautiful person in in the state of Maryland? He was right. My goal is to remind you of how precious and special you are through the art, right? Art can do that. Art should do that. Art should challenge, yeah, but art should also remind us that we are that we're okay. There's a raging pandemic, but it's outside my window. I am okay. I think a lot of people will take comfort in that message. And it is something that it can take reminding of. Reminding is incredibly important right now, especially as days blur together. Where did time go? Uh, Alicia Lee at this point just says time doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) So so memory and how memory will function and and the need for reminders right now is maybe more important than ever. I want to go deep into your memory to ask about how your journey as a poet and as a speaker and performer began. And of course, uh, many artists have said this in these interviews that it was always there and always in them. And I'm sure your egg metaphor will continue to carry through. But was there was there a moment where either you realized or or a supportive person in your life realized and said, this is something you should pursue? It was nursery school. So down in Georgia, I don't know what other kinds of nursery schools folks went to, but my nursery school was in a church. And I never went to kindergarten. So I went to this little church thing and and it started when you were three and then it went all the way up to you were five or six. And so I went straight from the church nursery school to um, first grade. And I tell you what, it was the best. It was, oh my God. Oh my God, Peter. I just thought about that. That's where um, slaves used to go to school in the church. And way, way back in the day, post-slavery, Black folks would go to school in the church. And so did I. Oh, my goodness. Um, And so they taught us everything. Right. They taught us everything. So we would have these performances in the in the pulpit. And I remember um, I had to do a speech at graduation. So there's Tiny Gale. I'm five. We had on our roads. Both sets of my parents were there. And I gave the graduation speech. And that's when I knew. I knew that's what I was born to do, was to speak. It was so exciting. It, it, it was so right. And it just continued from there, I, I guess. Did, how did that then, um, were there opportunities then further as you, as you went into grade school and, and beyond? How did, how did your journey progress from there? Yeah, you know, there's this book. I hope I get it right. I think it's The Tipping Point that talks about how these people are great successes and it all looks like a big accident. Or it all looks like moves that they made that contributed to their success. And yes, all of those things are true, but there are also these kind of connections and synchronicities. So I grew up in a time and in a place that kind of preordained 
that I would be doing the work that I do now as a speaker and as a poet, right? So I grew up in Atlanta and that's, you know, the whole Dr. King, you know, his church is there. A lot of his movement was there. And I had teachers who believed that if you could speak well, you could soar. And they just put that in us. They pounded that in us and it stuck. And they created all of these opportunities for us to speak. So in sixth grade, we were up in front of the class and we were writing and and reciting poetry. And in third grade, there was this speaking contest. And then in 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, there was the um, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Rest in peace, Dr. Joseph Lowry. You know, there was um, their national competition, right? And then when I won that, it gave me a little bit of scholarship money to go to Howard. So yeah, all these opportunities were there and all these people were there. And I just, um, you know, had to be brave and had to have the kind of parental and home resources to take advantage of those opportunities. It's wonderful that it sounds like you did have that parental support in, in order to pursue these. And so wonderful that there was a structure in your education system as well, that promoted uh, your empowerment through speech. What better way to give someone a platform to advocate for themselves than others than to make them a champion of speech? Lucky me. So then how did um, how did you come to Maryland then? Howard is, is in DC. And so was it just sort of a natural progression? Mm-hmm. It was just a natural progression. Was it like 45 minutes down the street? Yeah. Um, so I went away for a little bit. So I finished, I went to Howard University. I finished in 87 and then I took a horrible job. And so I did that. And one day on my lunch break over my tuna sandwich, I thought I should go to grad school because I hate this. <laughs> and so I went, I went to, they had those books at the time. It's probably all online now. And I found some money to go to Syracuse University and work on a master's in radio, TV, and film. And then I'm getting my chronology off somewhere in there. I moved home. Yeah. So I went home to Atlanta to save up money for the master's. And while I was there, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then I left for school in like December. It was like a December to December or August to August program at Syracuse. And while I was there, she died. And so that was all very pivotal you know, in my life. And so, and then I kind of fell into this series of going to Atlanta to live and then moving back up here and then Atlanta and then moving back up here. But now I'm proud to say I've been here longer than I was in Atlanta. Congratulations. I'm, I'm I'm sorry about the passing of of your mother. Um, What made the final choice to, to stay in Maryland? Um, I got pregnant (laughs) and had a had a little girl. She's 24 now. And, um, you know, her dad's family is here and all of my best friends and best connections are here. And I don't know about now in Atlanta. I'm probably very wrong in, a, in what I'm about to say. But there was a long stretch of time where to be here and to be a poet was a lot more lucrative, and a lot more accepted here than it was there. And so, you know, it was just kind of like, ah, I'll stay here. My friends are here. You know, my my daughter's people are here. And then I got married and had two more kids and he's here and his family's here. And, and you know, now my life is here. Mm-hmm. So I'm here. Uh, it, it's Mar- Maryland is uh, is a 
pretty hospitable place for for artists. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm glad that that has been the case for for many years. And think about it, Peter. That's where young audiences started. Yes. Right. Sixty-five-year-old arts and education organization was founded. You know, begun in Baltimore, Maryland, and you know has since spread all over the country. But you know, I think that says a lot about the reverence with which arts are 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 viewed here in Maryland. Absolutely. So I I want to ask about how um, how your kids are doing during this time. Would you mind talking about their their ages and and just how they're coping? I'm sure for for your uh, for your your eldest child that that um, first of all I hope they're safe and uh, just to to be through school, but still in that maybe just graduated or or you know just recently part of the workforce. That's a strange time. It is a strange time. I worry about them. As adults, we know that we are under some craziness, you know, in terms of our leadership. And so we kind of are rolling with the punches. But for our children, I wonder what they're feeling, what they're thinking. Like, you know, wow. You know, like as adults, we kind of able to make certain shifts either because we have to or because we can think our way through things. And we have a body of experiences that help us sustain and survive uh, new experiences, even when they're scary. But for children, you know, and we've just kind of been like, okay, you're fine. Sit down and go to school through your computer. What's the problem? <laughs> wow. I know, isn't that crazy? Completely. You know, I don't know when you're going back. Shut up and sit at your computer. See, your teacher's through in the computer now. Wow, you know? And I'm not sure that we have done a good job of, of transitioning them into this abyss, you know? So my kids, I mean, they're fine. They're fine on the outside, mm -hmm. ostensibly. They're fine, you know? They're eating. I cook. The oldest one is at her boyfriend's house and they're both working from home and they're fine. And my 11 year old, I mean, he's fine. I got up air quotes, you know, I mean, we're fine, you know, but I, um, I do worry about us. So your, your sons, I, I think you said beforehand were you know, 15 and 11 and are, how are they, are, are they using uh, the arts at all? I can't imagine that in, in your family that, there isn't a big emphasis on self-expression through whatever means or, or medium, but um, you know, are, are they engaging with the arts at all? How are, how are they, uh, you get, you're getting to spend a lot more time with them. So how, how are they using that time? It's funny, Peter, in, in this house, and I imagine it's in my other artist friends' homes as well. We don't draw a lot of lines between, you know, our life as a family and, and now we're doing art. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Like you said, the, the, the curtain, the wall is wafer thin, you know. So we're just living and breathing. And um, the other night, the 11-year-old, we were playing spades, right? That's kind of a requirement in my family. Like when you're born, before you leave the hospital, you have to learn how to play spades or we, we don't let you come home. And so... Um, <laughs> We were playing and my 11 year old, we had some music going, got to have the music up loud. Right. And he just got up and just broke out into dance. And it was so normal and natural. 
and, and you know, suddenly my 15 year old will sing when he's in the middle of a Zoom session with Georgetown Prep, you know, with the biology session, he might mute himself and sing, you know, so it's breath for us. I'm grateful for that, too. It's just part of who we are over here. It's marvelous. It's um, you're right that that has been the case with many of the of the people I've interviewed, that the separation that uh, many people perhaps perceive between being in an artistic mode and the rest of your life is is that it's a very thin curtain. It's not a wall. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny to me, Peter? Um, my the only places I go now are to the track because I'm a runner, and to the grocery store because I love to cook. Right, so I have my three. I wear three masks in the grocery store, and I wear my gloves. But you know that doesn't cover my ears. My God, thank goodness, right? And so the other day in the grocery store, they were playing, let the music play. We won't get away and we'll come back to you again. Let the music play. Old like disco house song, right? From the early 90s, right? Late 80s. And I started dancing, pushing my car and nobody else was dancing. And I thought, these people are weird. (laughs) How are you in the midst of music? And not dancing or not singing or not snapping your fingers. So it's just, you know, it's just breath. It's breath for me. And I'm sure that that's going to be sort of part of what you're going to uh, impart during your embrace session. This sense, again, of finding a way to make expression effortless. To hug the poet within, right? Exactly. It's such a joy to talk to you, and uh, I really am looking forward to your session. Again, that's taking place on uh, May 7th, which is a Thursday, from 1 to 1.45 p.m. So hopefully before then, uh, those antibiotics will kick in nicely, and uh, you'll have lots of tea and have rested up well. Yep, hopefully. Knock on wood, right? Keep persevering, Gail. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Embrace Podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.